Listen, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Let's continue on where we left off the other day. Let's have a good, let's have a good morning. Um, let's have a good morning as we, talk about, as we talk about God's Word. Acts chapter 4. I hope that you went back and read uh, some of the passages leading up to this. But let me, let me just say this. If you're familiar with, with, with the history, especially in the, in the first century, there's one thing that you probably know, that Jesus wasn't the only person that was crucified by the Romans. That there, there, were other, there were others. As a matter of fact, there were many others beside Jesus that were crucified by the Romans during that time in history. Um, some of you may be familiar with the name Spartacus. There's been some very familiar movies that have been, have been written about him. He was, a, he was famous for leaving, leading a slave rebellion against Rome during that time. And um, some say that he was crucified. Others say that he lost his life in battle. They don't, I don't know if history says that they ever recounted where they found his body. But I do know what happened to many of the people that followed Spartacus during that time. Many of those that followed him in that slave rebellion were crucified. And the scriptures, not the scriptures, but the historians say that they took the bodies of those that had been, that were, had rebelled against Rome. And to prove a point, and to say, not what, and to say you, better, you better be careful, what they did is they took their bodies, and from that battle site all the way leading into Rome, they scattered their bodies along that road, crucified, and they allowed them to rot there, saying, you better be careful. And historians have made it very clear to, to record that because they wanted to scare anybody, anybody that was thinking about rebellion. They wanted to, to do away with that, and pretty much it, it worked. And so we know, because of the writings of the historians, why we would know the story of Spartacus. But have you ever wondered how in the world we would hear about the Jewish carpenter by the name of Jesus? And while Jesus' name would be more familiar to us than any other Roman empire, emperor. Have you ever thought about that? How was it that Jesus' name and his story has lived through the centuries? Because we know that the Roman historians didn't write, it except, write about it except for maybe one. We know that the Jewish historians didn't write about it except for maybe one. So the, really the accounts that we have are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the story of Jesus and his, and his life. But the question is, how do we know so much? One of the biggest explanations to that question, if there is really an explanation, is there were eyewitnesses to that account. There were eyewitnesses to that account that could not be quiet. If we go back to Luke, Luke, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it was written by one man, Luke, who was a doctor. Some say that those two books were really one book, but it's somewhere along the line it was split into two books, the book of Luke and Acts. Luke being the account that we have of Jesus in his life, the book of Acts being about um, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the Holy Spirit, but really that's where we find the story of the early church and what took place. And if there was one thing that we said last week, the one thing that we wanted to drive home was that the church, the early church, was a movement. That it was a movement that was built and centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was centrality to that movement. Um, And we said that here about two months after Jesus' ascension to heaven, there were 120 witnesses that were assembled, and and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell on that place, and they became witnesses. They became witnesses. 
They testified on behalf of what they had seen and what they had heard. And if you remember during that time, there were 3,000 believers that came and embraced the truth of Jesus, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that he had been raised from the dead. And at that moment in time, the church itself was birthed. And it wasn't birthed because they had a building first. It wasn't birthed because they had programs. And it wasn't birthed because they had greeters standing at the door greeting you when you walked in the door. But it was birthed around a, it was a movement around the truth that something had happened in their midst and they couldn't get past it. The resurrection of Jesus was central to them, them being the followers of Christ. You know, it's really hard to grasp because I, I bet you they didn't have a plan when they started out. The only thing they had was a mission, Tom, a mission. A mission to go out and make disciples and to baptize them and teach them to observe the commandments of God. That was what Jesus had told those that were there to do. And that was exactly what they did, is they went. And what started out, I want you to hang with me for a second, what started out as an outward movement of going out into the places, the highways and the byways that we might say, a a movement that was focused on love and acceptance, eventually somewhere along the line begin to turn inward. Are you with me? And all of a sudden it became about the rules and the regulations and the programs and the buildings and all the other stuff. See, in the early church, if you go back and read, there was something that was unique and it was their love for one another. Um, and I would dare say that there are probably some of you here today that one of the reasons that you've been turned off so much by the church as you know it is because somewhere along the line somebody hurt you. Somewhere along the line something happened in your life, something took place and all of a sudden in a place that you should feel welcomed, in a place that you should feel embraced, in a place that you should feel loved, all of a sudden, Jaleesa, I wasn't loved. I was an outcast. Are you with me? See, you've met people like that, and you may be one of those people because you didn't sort of fit in, because you didn't, you didn't look like or act like what everybody else thought you should look or act like. But somewhere along the line, things begin to change. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk in reference to a tension that we see around Jesus because there were believers that had found favor. And you know why they found favor with others? And It was because their lives were attractive. Their lives, the believers at that time, had an an attractiveness about themselves. There There was something about their lives that was attractive, and it wasn't their buildings, and it wasn't the great music. It wasn't the guy that was speaking, but it was the lives that they live. And my question for you, I mean, man, are people attracted to the gospel because of your life? When we started Heritage, in those early days, which are still early days for us, it wasn't about being bigger, and it wasn't about being better, but it was about being on mission, and I don't want to lose sight of that. Somebody asked me this week, 
do you have people complain about pews and music? And I, and I said, no. I said, it really wouldn't do any good anyway. <laughs> but it's just not that important. The color of the paint, you can paint it whatever color you want to. I really don't care. But I don't want to lose sight. I don't want to lose sight of what we said up front that was really important to us, creating those environments where, where people could grow spiritually and they could share life and they could, they could um, grow and serve and use their gifts and talents to, to not just go to church, but to be the church. But I'm going to tell you what, no church, no body of believers is immune to turning inward. I don't care who you are. No body of believers is, is, uh, is immune to, to all of a sudden going from outward focus to inward focus. So how do you know as a church if you're headed in the right direction? How do you know if as a church that you're on track doing what God wants you to do? And one of those indicators is prayer. How are you praying individually as well as how are we praying corporately? And I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 4. And I want to take a look at what the prayer life of the early church looked like. And I'm telling you what, when we walk out of here today, and you don't get something, you're dead. Because, man, I, I've looked over this and I've wept over this. Um, because what we're going to see today isn't always what I pray. And I pray the Holy Spirit jumps all on your business today. Because when the church was started, those of us that were followers of Jesus, we were witnesses. So let's look and see today in the midst of everything that's happening, really, really what is it that we're supposed to be doing and how we should be praying. Now, I want to let those of you that are here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't claim to be a Christian, I'm going to let you off the hook today. But for those of you that I'm looking in your eyes, that I know that you're a Christ follower, you are not off the hook. <clears throat> you're not off the hook. As a matter, when we start talking about prayer, see, this is the thing that I know. I know that your prayer life is probably somewhat like mine. See, I probably know some of the same things that you pray for. You know, um, um, things like, um, you know, Lord, help those that are sick. Would you be with my family? Father, help me in my job and my finances. Help me make wise decisions. And see, you've got a list. And I promise you, it's probably a list that you, re that you repeat day in and day, day out. And I'm not suggesting today that you quit praying for anything that you're praying for. Not at all. And see, this is what I know about your prayers. The common thread amongst our prayers, Mike, is probably this. It's probably me and you. It's us. Our prayers probably revolve around what I need and what I want and every once in a while what's going on in somebody else's life. And I'm not asking you today to stop praying for anything, but this is what I'm saying. I wonder after a while if praying self-centered prayers has an ability to create self-centered Christians. Write that down someplace. You better write it down. If praying self-centered prayers somewhere along the line turns our heart towards self, being a self-centered Christian. See, it's easy to go from of movement and mission to focusing on me and my. 
from God, how do we, how do we reach the world to what, what is it, Lord, that I need? What is it that I want? When we pray that we end up becoming good people, just keeping up with stuff and filling up our, our schedules, you know, that's, that's really what it can become very quickly to move from being a movement to all of a sudden just maintenance, contentment, complacency. So with that, let me sort of bring you up to date on a story. It's the first day of the church. 3,000 people have, have said, I believe. Just a few days later in Acts chapter 3, we see as the story continues on that, that Peter and John are going to the temple. To help you have a better understanding, the temple was the center of Judaism during that time. And so Peter and John were, were Jews, and so they were going to the temple even though they were believers. They're Christians. They're followers of Christ. And out at this point, outside of Jesus, Peter was probably the biggest name in Christianity at that point. But before they got to the temple, there was a man that was there that was a, that was a lame man that either family or friends or somebody had placed him on the outside of the temple. And he was there to beg. The Bible says he'd been, he had been, um, <laughs> been lame since, since birth. And so as people were going in and out of the temple, they would see this, this beggar that was, that was there. And as Peter and John are walking by this lame guy doing what beggars do, he was begging. And I don't know if he was holding up a sign. I don't know if he had him a little bucket. I don't have a clue what it looked like. But see, you've seen some of those people. You've probably seen them on a, on a street corner someplace holding up a sign. Or you've seen them somewhere and they've been begging. And they were begging for a specific reason. You know, Conrad and I had an opportunity to, to meet with some homeless people this past week and care of them. I don't know if you guys know, but it was pretty cold this past week on a couple of nights. And Conrad and I had an opportunity to go and sit down and, and, and have a brief conversation with some guys and bring them back some resources. They weren't beggars. But we wanted to make sure we cared for them. And I guarantee you that Peter and John had care on their heart, but they didn't have any money to give him. Didn't have any, any money at all. And what he, when they asked, when he asked Peter, Peter responded by saying, listen, I don't have any, any money, but I've got something more valuable for you than silver and gold. And Peter said to this crippled guy, he said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the Bible says that Peter took him by the hand, and I'm not making this up, it says he jumped up, he leapt up, and he began to walk. And he didn't run away, but guess where he went when Peter and John went into the temple? He followed behind him, jumping up and down. Well, I don't know about you, but it probably didn't take too long for a crowd to form at that time because people had saw him going in and out of the temple, and they knew that this guy, they had seen him for many, many days, if not years, begging there on the outside of the temple. And the Bible says that there, where Jesus had preached early on in, in, his, in his ministry, um, that Peter could not keep silent about what he had heard and there in the middle of it of a sermon that he preached standing right there he mentioned the word resurrection and Luke said that by the time that he was done there were 5,000 men that he claimed up until that point to be followers of Jesus now I don't know about you but Jerusalem really wasn't that big that time so what we're talking about here is that now with this 5,000 we're probably somewhere around 10% of the population of Jerusalem that now, within a very short amount of time, have, have said, I believe. There's an uproar that's happening. 
There's really something, Marty, that's taking place in this city. There is talk on town. Everybody's tweeting, tweeting everybody. All right? Everybody's emailing everybody. You guys can't believe this. And in all of the excitement, this is what I know. The guys in the temple, they weren't too happy. They weren't very excited. As a matter of fact, they said, you guys can't come in here and preach about this resurrection stuff. It's just not going to work out. And they arrested Peter and John, and they threw them in jail. And the next morning, the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, they got together with the high priest, and they began to ask some questions. And they said, what is all this stuff that you guys are talking about? This resurrection. And Peter said, listen, man, I am so glad that you ask. And he began to preach. And he told them about Jesus being God's son and that, that, and that they had crucified him. They had beaten him, but he had risen from the dead. And it was in the name of Jesus that that crippled man that they saw was able to walk. And it was near the end of the sermon that Peter says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And you can pick up here with me. He said this, there is salvation in no one else talking about Jesus. God has given us no other name under heaven talking about Jesus by which man or we must be saved. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty doggone narrow, isn't it? That's a pretty narrow thought. We say these days, well, there are many ways. Well, no, Peter's saying, no, there's only one way. Only one way. And here, in the midst of that, they're getting out of jail, and Peter can't keep quiet. And he says, I want you guys to know, listen, God has done something miraculous. He sent His Son, and you need to embrace Jesus because there is no other name. There is no other way to salvation. Didn't sit well with the Jewish and the temple leaders. They didn't like it. But there was a problem. And you know what the problem was? It was that lame guy who was walking around, and not just walking around, but he was jumping. He was there in the middle of that meeting. And here he is standing amongst them all, and everybody knew it. And to him, the miracle was nobody could explain it. They didn't know how it happened. And so Luke goes on to record these words in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The members of the council were amazed that they saw the what? Underline that word, boldness. Boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had walked with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing that they could say. All right, we're going to let you go. But I want you guys to do us a favor. Don't say anything. No more preaching. No more talking about Jesus. No more talking about the resurrection. And listen, by the way, will you stop blaming us for Jesus being crucified? And Peter looks, just having gotten out of jail, and he says, listen, I appreciate all your thoughts, but I can't stop talking about what I've seen and what I've heard. And this is what I know. When you have a personal experience with Jesus Christ, you can't stop talking about what you've seen and heard. It's different when it's between your story and somebody else's story. When it's your story and you've seen it and you've experienced, you can't stop talking about it. It's impossible. Peter and John left. They found the group, Mary, James, and the other disciples. They probably thought they would never see them again. 
that the same exact thing that had happened to Jesus would probably happen to Peter and John, but they met up. And the Bible tells us, and the Scripture records, that they prayed. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you briefly today. I want to show you what the Scripture has to say about that prayer. And I want you to think just for a second. If this had been you and your life, what would you have been praying for at this time? Peter and John had been put in jail. They've been let out, not because they wanted to release them, but they had to because of all the others that were there. Because there's really no telling what would have happened to Peter and John if those others wouldn't have been there. But if it were you, what would you have prayed for? I mean, would you be praying, Lord, keep me safe, protect me, watch after me, hold me tight, you know, put a hedge of protection around me? Is that what you really would have said? I mean, would you have been praying for protection? You know, Lord, keep us out of harm's way. Give me strength to make it through this day. Protection and safety. But is that what they prayed for? Hmm. Wow. We, you know, some of us, I wonder if we'd have said, okay, guys, listen, shh, shh, listen. Let's let it die down just for a little bit. Let's just not say anything for a little bit. Let's be quiet. Let this Jesus stuff, let all this anger and angst and, and, and let's just sort of let it pass over for a little bit. And then maybe a little bit later we can sneak it in. But right now, stop it. Don't do it. That's not what they prayed. Verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. And look at what the first century church prayed. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In other words, Lord, before we ask you, before we approach you, before we do anything, I, we want everybody to know we know exactly whom we're approaching. We know exactly whom we are approaching. The God of the universe. The God who is in control, not out of control. God, we want you to know that you are sovereign and nothing catches you by surprise. And he goes on to say, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David. Your servant saying, and he goes back to the Old Testament on a prediction in reference to Jesus and the Messiah, that he would be persecuted and mistreated. And look at what he says. Why were the nations so angry? He's going back to the Old Testament. Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The, king, the kings of the earth prepared for that battle. The rulers together against the Lord and against the Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city. God, you are great and you are sovereign and you predicted that all of this stuff would take place. And what was predicted has happened here in this city. <clears throat> Herod and Pilate rose up against Jesus and he goes on, for Herod Antipas, uh, Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Gentiles and the people of Israel will all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. Verse 28, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. <laughs> Let me read that again for you. But everything that took place, everything that happened, everything that was going on at that time, everything as bad as it was, was determined beforehand according to your will, O God, because you are sovereign. Jesus' crucifixion, man, he knew about it. He knew exactly what was going on. 
Even if they might have thought that God wasn't involved, God was involved. God knew it, and he allowed it to happen. And they go on to pray this. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great what? Boldness. Boldness in preaching your word. But wasn't it boldness that got them in trouble to start off with? I don't know about you, but when's the last time you prayed for boldness? When's the last time in your daily prayer time that you said, God, help me be bold? When's the last time you even used the word boldness in your vocabulary? I mean, when's the last time that you said, God, as I'm getting up today, I understand that you're sovereign, but God, today, will you use me so that I'm an ambassador for your light? Help me to be a, your representative. Help me to be bold. I mean, do you ever pray for boldness and courage when, you know, in reference to how you, how you act at work? Do you ever pray for boldness in reference to a, a community group that you may be going, going to, like a BNI group or a Rotary Club? Do you ever say, Lord, would you give me boldness and courage as I walk into this place to be your ambassador? You know, as a school teacher, do you say, Lord, would you use me as a light today to be a light to all of those students that I'm working with? You know, Lord, would you use me not only in the lives of the students, but what about the administrative staff that's there? What about the counseling staff that's there? Lord, would you use us in the light of the city? As a, as a representative, so that we can be your light, so that we can bring peace to this city. Have you ever asked God or prayed to God and said, God, would you give me boldness? Now, I'm not talking about standing up on a table someplace and telling everybody they're going to die and go to hell or turn or burn. That's not what I'm talking about. See, that's our, that's our attitude of boldness. That's ignorance is what that is. That's one of the reasons we've got to the place that we are. But I'm talking about a boldness, a confidence that comes. Do you know how you've heard about the name of Jesus? It started back in the first century because there were some people that were undergoing a lot of issues that were willing to be bold and to not be afraid. They weren't timid. But they were bold. But boldness wasn't the only thing that they asked for. Look at verse 30. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now that's probably not something that you've asked for. And some of you would say, well, that's not the kind of church that I go to. I don't think that's really maybe what is being said here. But I think maybe what's being said is, Lord, would you help me live in such a way that the lives of others who don't believe, those who are skeptical in my place of work, in my place of business, in my place of play, in the places that I live, would you allow me to live in such a way that my life causes them to say, wow, do you see that? Do you see how they love? Do you see how they care? Do you see their lives? Do you see how attractive it is? Something's different about them. 
I mean, what would happen if we as Christ followers, Gail, will begin to pray this way? Kim, I mean, can you imagine that every day before you ever went to the, to, the, to the hair salon, that you're praying, God, would you give me strength today to speak truth into those ladies and to build a relationship so that I have eventually one day the opportunity to share the gospel with them? Not just to cut their hair and have conversation. Listen, if you want to know something, you can always go to the salon, right? But instead of it being that type of a conversation, maybe that conversation is turned towards Jesus. Maybe that conversation isn't just about, but maybe it's about, God, would you touch me and do something in me so that you can do something through me? Use my life so that those who don't believe may one day come to believe. Use me, Lord, in such a way that my friends that have been burned by a bad church experience, those that have given up, might see your power at work. This building was a, God's power at work. But you know what? A greater, a greater thought about God at work is when you go out and you, you... You know why we say, I want you to go out and be an ambassador? It's because you are living proof that God is alive. You are living proof. Your life is living proof that God is alive. When is the last time you've said, God, use me in such a way that others would come to know Jesus? Lord, I can't convince them with my power, so I need your help. So stretch out your hand and do something unusual, for not for my benefit and not for the benefit of those people around you. See, the miracles were done not for the benefit of the person that received the miracle. The benefits were done for those that didn't know Christ. Because the person, this guy here, he eventually died. But the miracle was done so that others might know that he was God. And that he was alive. The point of the miracles were for those who did not believe. Now, I don't believe this healing stuff was a pastor or somebody laying on a hand and people start shaking around and moving and falling down on the ground. I don't believe that. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, it changes stuff. You tell me you're your believer, it's demonstrated in how we live. Now, I'm not telling that everybody's perfect because we aren't perfect. We're sinners saved by God's grace. But if you're a Christ follower, your life is different. And the people that are around you should recognize that you are different. You're different. question time can you imagine the change and the stir that would be created in a community where believers were demonstrating the power of God not just for their sake but for the sake of others who didn't believe can you imagine that those of us that were assembled on Sunday mornings in evangelical churches within our community that if we were to live for Jesus when we walked out of those doors can you imagine the impact that it would have? Can you imagine the stir that it would have? Lord, use me. Can you imagine what would happen if we were to pray like the first century believers? When's the last time you've prayed for opportunities? Because this is what I know. When I pray for certain things, there's a better chance that I'm going to see and experience those certain things. When I'm praying for opportunities on a daily basis, Sandy Jones, you know what happens to me? I see you back there sleeping. 
I love Sandy. You know what happens? I begin to see those opportunities. And when I see those opportunities, there's a better chance that I'll seize those opportunities. When we pray for boldness and God use me, we will see opportunities that otherwise we might have missed. And in verse 31, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. Now, I don't know if that was an earthquake. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know if people were scared and began to shake. I don't really know. But I know it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. And all the believers were united in heart. Now, you kind of got to get this here. And all, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, but they shared everything that they had. So not only was there a great sense of boldness, but there was also a great sense of generosity. And it wasn't because there was a pastor that tried to convince them that they needed to be generous. It wasn't because they'd went through a teaching time that they needed to, to tithe. It wasn't because somebody made them feel guilty or somebody was standing over holding them accountable. It wasn't out of fear of punishment. It happened. It just happened. And they became concerned about people within their sphere of influence. People that they may have never thought about before. All of a sudden they begin to think about it. And there was an outbreak. And there was a discussion. And they talked about the resurrection. It was on the tip of their tongue every place that they went. And why do we do what we do as a church? Bigger and better. You can have it. I don't need it. I don't want it. We do what we do as a church. We do what we do as a church because there's a message. Because we're supposed to be on mission about making disciples and about teaching them to observe all things and baptizing them. And that's what Jesus said that we were supposed to be about. It's not about being bigger for the sake of being bigger but it's about learning to leverage what god has blessed us with because we understand that there's something bigger than us that's really what it's all about that there's more to this life than this life more to this life and so what i'm saying is this as i close what are you praying for because what we pray for is an indication of our hearts what we pray for is an indication of what we're desiring. Are you praying for boldness? Are you praying for courage? Are you praying that God would use you and us to reach this community? Or are you just satisfied and comfortable? It'd be really easy to be in that position, wouldn't it? So this is it. This is what I want you to do. I don't want you to stop praying what you've been praying for, but I want you to add this thing to your prayer. Write it down. Number one, God help me to be bolder. God help me to be bolder. Give me courage. Help me live with boldness. And the second thing, God, stretch out your hand and do something in my life that would cause people to go, wow. Lord, use me and the things that I walk through. Help me not to be afraid, but help me to live on mission because I want to represent you. See, the tendency is to think if something bad happens... Then all of a sudden, God's fickle. He loves me. He doesn't love me. He loves me. He doesn't love me. But to understand that maybe God is setting you up to be on a platform to do something that is great. To cause other people that are around you to go, did you see that? 
Did you see how they, did you, do you know how they treated him? And look at what he did. He forgave them. It wasn't an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. That's not what happened. I want you to look and see how he's responding. Look at how she's responding. Man, you can see something's different about their life. It's attractive. And I don't know really what's going on. I don't know what's taking in their place in their life. But whatever it is, I want it. I want it. If that's Jesus, I want it. Because that's surely not me. So two things. Give me boldness. Boldness and Lord, stretch out your hand and do something in my life that would cause people to go, wow. And see, if you're a Christian, you don't have a choice. If you're a Christ follower, you don't have a choice. Because that's the mission that we've been given. And the answers to everything that we need is right here. It's right here in these scriptures. Stop waiting on me to feed you. Take it and begin to read it for yourself. Take it and begin to say, okay, God, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And the last thing is Acts 4.13. Some of you may never go to seminary. You may never go to college and spend any time studying God's Word. But I love this passage of Scripture. The members of the council were amazed at what they saw, the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. When you're with Jesus, there's something that happens, Linda, when you walk out. When you've walked with Jesus, there's something about our demeanor. There's something about our attitude. There's something about our character. If you want to know whether or not you've been with Jesus, or you're on that journey, go back and read Galatians 5. Conrad, thank you for going back and reading that last week. You learned a lot. And what we'll learn is this. All of us have a lot of room to grow. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you for our time. I'm praying that, Lord, that we'll leave here today with a thought of, God, how are you going to use me to be bolder? How are you going to use me in my life, Father, to be bold and courageous for the gospel? Not to just be caught up of doing frivolous things that look and feel good, but how will we keep the movement alive, preaching the gospel, that Jesus Christ is alive and one day he's coming back. For those of us that are followers of Christ here today, I pray this seeps into our every very being. That as we walk out these doors that, Father, we would understand that we are your ambassador. And if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus, that have yet to come face to face with you and to trust you, even this morning, Lord, would they come here right after this service and look me in the eye and say, Pastor Sid, I don't know Jesus, but I surely would like to learn a little bit more. Would you give them even the courage today to come to me and say, would you tell me more? Today's going to be filled with laughter. It's going to be filled with excitement as we go home to watch football games, son, catch a nap, to go back to our usual business. But, Father, I pray that we would not forget what the Spirit has spoken today and that we would apply it to our lives. Be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.